Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Wednesday, November 11th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. A deep dive into why a statue of an 18th century feminist writer has caused a stir in England. A new YouTube show to watch made by Hungarian scientists called The Genius Dog Challenge. And Collins Dictionary's Word of the Year. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. A new statue of early feminist philosopher Mary Wollstonecraft has just been unveiled at the Newington Green Park in North London, and it's caused a bit of a stir. In case you're unfamiliar, because that's part of the point of this statue, is that many people are unfamiliar with her, Mary Wollstonecraft wrote the seminal A Vindication of the Rights of Women in 1792, a text which was fairly derided for some time, in part due to Wollstonecraft's maligned reputation, but was eventually welcomed as a founding text of feminism by suffragettes around the turn of the 20th century. For some, she's best known as being the mother of Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley, the author of Frankenstein. Unfortunately, the mother of sci-fi was not raised by the mother of feminism, because the elder Mary Wollstonecraft died in childbirth with baby Mary. Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley was raised by her similarly radical father, William Godwin, and would later marry poet Percy Bysshe Shelley. So Wollstonecraft made a huge impact on women and on feminism and is wholly deserving of a statue. So why is it a big enough deal that I'm bringing it up? Well, on the September 23rd episode of this show, I talked a bit about the lack of women's representation in statues in the United Kingdom. And it's not just a United Kingdom problem, by the way. Over the weekend, I went to see the new suffragette statue in Central Park, featuring Susan B. Anthony, Sojourner Truth, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. New this year, it's the first statue in Central Park over the course of its 167-year history that features real, named women. There are 29 statues in Central Park. Across New York City altogether, there are 150 statues honoring historical figures, and only five depict women. Across the whole United States, as of 2011, there were 5,200 public outdoor statues, but only 7% represented women. So, no, it's not just a problem in the United Kingdom, but returning to the United Kingdom, as I mentioned back in September, at least until 2017, Edinburgh specifically had more statues of animals than of women. And quoting a 2018 report from BBC's Reality Check, of the 828 statues recorded in the UK, 174 of them were female, around one in five. And looking at named women rather than nameless female figures whittles the figure down to 80. Even among the 80 female figures with names, 15 are mythical or fictional. Fictional men were more likely to be soldiers on war memorials, while many female figures were nudes and nymphs, end quote. And that is important, because here's what I haven't told you about this statue of Mary Wollstonecraft yet. The statue consists mostly of some sort of silvery, abstract, wave-like substance rising up and sitting at the very top, representing about a tenth of the overall surface area of the statue, is a small, fully nude woman. 
The sculptor, Maggie Hambling, an artist known for being a bit controversial, said this of the statue, quote, The point is that she has to be naked because clothes define people. We all know that clothes are limiting, and she is every woman. As far as I know, she's more or less the shape we'd all like to be. Statues in historic costume look like they belong to history because of their clothes. It's crucial that she is now. The whole sculpture is called For Mary Wollstonecraft, and that's crucially important. It's not an idea of Mary Wollstonecraft naked. The sculpture is for now, end quote. Which, okay, but that does lead to a number of further concerns that lots of people have brought up. First, the campaign responsible for this statue was specifically called Mary on the Green. Their aim was to get a statue erected of Mary Wollstonecraft specifically. If that aim changed to be a generic feminist statue in her honor, okay, sure. But as several women on Twitter pointed out, the every woman trope is outdated, not least because it's difficult to visually represent a woman who can stand for all different types of women's bodies. And naturally, the body represented here is a fairly idealized and rare type of slender, toned body. Writer Mona Eltahawi said, quote, "...which female form is being celebrated by those statues? A cisgender woman's body that is considered attractive to a heterosexual male gaze. There's nothing wrong with nudity, but whose terms is it on and whose body does it celebrate?" is the question." End quote. And yes, as Elta Howe and others point out, burying it all is often a feminist tactic to push back against the sexualization of women's bodies, to empower oneself, etc. But that doesn't completely track when you're choosing to represent someone else as nude, instead of just choosing to be nude yourself. And, you know, maybe if this were representing some more modern feminist who was particularly known for protesting in the buff, it would make sense, but not so much for an 18th century feminist with very different ideas about modesty, gender-related or not, and who, as far as we know, never wrote about empowerment through nudity, but did absolutely write about women's bodies as objects. She said in A Vindication on the Rights of Women, quote, Taught from infancy that beauty is woman's scepter, the mind shapes itself to the body, and roaming around its guilt cage only seeks to adorn its prison. End quote. And I can just about see the argument, as supporters of the statue have said, that clothes are that prison Wollstonecraft was talking about, and therefore being portrayed as naked is a liberation. But many women pointed out that this statue, which is in a public park, not only depicts a largely unattainable ideal, but also plays into the objectification and sexualization of women's bodies that lead to women being harassed and assaulted in parks just like the one in which the statue is displayed. Tracy King, who wrote about the gender disparity in British statues for the New Statesman in 2018, said on Twitter, quote, Statues of named men get to be clothed because the focus is on their work and achievements. Meanwhile, women, walking or jogging through parks, experience high rates of sexual harassment because our bodies are considered public property. End quote. As King and others pointed out, none of the male historical figures represented for their achievements in statues are presented nude. Yes, there are some male mythical and classical statues that are nude, but not, you know, Winston Churchill. Another design was considered for the statue, which showed Wollstonecraft fully clothed with a quill and a stack of books, surrounded by a semicircle platform with one of her quotes on it, which I could absolutely envision people sitting or standing on as they posed for photos with her. And no, it wasn't the most intriguing artistically. It actually reminds me a lot of the suffragette statue in Central Park. 
And it was designed by a man, which apparently the Mary on the Green campaign got a lot of pushback about. They were pressured to choose the woman sculptor instead simply on the basis of the sculptor's gender. And I think that's an important complication of this story that we can't ignore. Now, beyond the perhaps unfair pressure they faced, they did specifically say that they were trying to do something in contrast to the stuffy pedestals of many men's statues. This design is undeniably more artistic, and the campaign believes it will stand the test of time. The campaign, Mary on the Green, had been organizing and fundraising for 10 years to make this statue a reality, so it's a real bummer that the final product wasn't quite what it seems like the general public wanted to see. But, you know, maybe they can use their newfound notoriety to keep pushing for more statues of women. Because that's the biggest takeaway, in my opinion. Maybe none of this would seem so bad if there were simply more statues of historical women to choose from, so a controversial choice like this wouldn't feel like such a big deal. I've got a viewing recommendation for you, one which started today and is recurring every day through the 16th. It's called the Genius Dog Challenge. It's really more of a science experiment than a contest, but basically a team of Hungarian scientists are pitting six of the world's smartest dogs against each other on their ability to learn the names of objects, and they are live-streaming the whole thing. The contest builds on years of research, which they hope to expand on, and in addition to just wanting to brighten people's days during the pandemic, the team has specifically chosen to livestream it in hopes of spreading the word to help them find more dogs to study in the future. They have an application form on their site where you can submit your own dog for study, if your dog knows the name of at least 10 distinct objects or toys. Now, that won't submit your dog for the current live-streamed contest, however, just for future studies done by the team. The six dogs for the current contest have already been chosen, and you can see photos and profile information about each one on the Genius Dog Challenge website so that you can pick your favorite and root for them as you watch the live streams. The one this afternoon was just 15 minutes long, so I imagine that's about how long each one will be, and while it is pretty fun to watch you know, a bunch of dogs and their owners play with toys, Remember that it's a scientific study first and foremost, so don't go into it expecting a well-polished, highly suspenseful network TV kind of competition. Although interestingly, they do have one serious sponsor, dog food company Purina. The leading force behind the project and research is Claudia Fugaza, a canine behavior researcher from Budapest. Quoting the New York Times, Dr. Fugaza became interested in this ability after running tests on Whiskey, a border collie in Norway, who has now learned more than a hundred names of toys without any special training. Whiskey will be part of the challenge, as well as dogs from Spain, Brazil, Hungary, Florida, and the Netherlands. They're all border collies, although Dr. Fugaza says other breeds are capable of similar accomplishments. Still, most dogs can't accomplish such feats, even with extensive training, she said, and her scientific interest is in studying more dogs to attempt to understand the nature of this ability. Even in humans, she said, genius is poorly understood, and its origins controversial, but in animals, it's not been recognized at all. We don't know the origins of this exceptional performance, and we think dogs are an extremely good model for studying this, she said, end quote. So, an interesting study to learn a little bit more about the nature of genius, both in humans and in animals, and mostly just a bit of fun to tune into if you need some fun distractions over the next week. 
There are a lot of words and phrases in our common vocabulary that are either brand new or risen from niche obscurity this year. Social distancing, N95, coronavirus, essential worker, Zoom party. The other day I was thinking about young kids learning the word for the first time will associate quarantine with when you stay home from school and watch a lot of YouTube videos but still get to go to the park and grocery store on occasion. Whereas I first learned the word in a Margaret Peterson Haydix novel in which no one was allowed in or out of a cabin occupied by a villager who had caught diphtheria. So even words we've been familiar with have slightly different meanings in some contexts now. But of all of those various contenders, Collins Dictionary has decided that their word of the year 2020 is lockdown. Lockdown is defined in Collins Dictionary as a noun, meaning, quote, the imposition of stringent restrictions on travel, social interaction, and access to public spaces, end quote. Lockdown beat out nine other contenders that make up the dictionary's top ten words of the year, according to Collins, which, by the way, is a British dictionary, so bear that in mind as I read these out. The other top words are coronavirus, key worker, BLM, as short for Black Lives Matter, furlough, self-isolate, social distancing, Megxit, TikToker, and mukbang. Megxit, by the way, was what people called when Prince Harry and Meghan Markle withdrew from royal duties, a play on Brexit. And a mukbang is a video of someone eating a huge amount of food. For example, you could say, To distract myself from the coronavirus while self-isolating, I watched my favorite TikTokers do a mukbang. Collins said they ultimately chose lockdown for the number one spot because, quote, it is a unifying experience for billions of people across the world who have had collectively to play their part in combating the spread of COVID-19, end quote. They say they measured over 250,000 uses of the word lockdown this year compared to just 4,000 in 2019. So that's one dictionary in with their word of the year. I'll be curious to see which word the other dictionaries choose as their word of the year. That is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go start a bracket for some of those genius Hungarian dogs. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.